over the next few weeks, look at selected texts from the book of Isaiah. It's a very long, uh, very long book in uh, the Old Testament, so long that uh, you would not you would not write it on one scroll. That was a two-scroll book, so uh, good length. And uh, he is uh, the prince of the prophets, uh, the greatest of the writing prophets. Some people call this the fifth gospel uh, because it uh, has such a wonderful message for God's people, message of salvation, message of hope, along with messages of woe and messages of doom. And Isaiah ministers, uh, there are four kings mentioned in verse 1, that he ministers during their reigns, and uh, the years would be about the year 740 through the year 700 B.C. So uh, we're talking 2740 years ago. Um, Whenever you're reading something from 2740 years, there is quite a difference in uh, culture, the way people think, the way they write, and uh, it's a barrier, and uh, so you have to think about that as you read the scripture sometimes. It is so ancient, and yet as you read the book of Isaiah, the problems that people had and the sins that people engaged in in that time were the exact same that we do today and the exact same problems in Canada, and uh, we will see that as over the next few weeks. Um, So chapter 1 is an introduction, and chapter 1 is basically uh, God bringing a lawsuit against his people Israel. That's the way he's writing this. This is a lawsuit, and God's got a case, and uh, he is the prosecutor, and he's bringing a case, and he says, here's the problems that we have, and here's what you're not doing, and uh, we need to come up with a solution Uh, because otherwise uh, the punishment is tremendous, and you're getting the punishment, and you're going to continue to get it. Um, So point number one, um, first of all, the message is God brings charges against his people. Point number one, the summary of the charges, verse uh, two and three. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Summary of the charges, God's special people have rebelled against him. Uh, This is poetry. How many of you read poetry in your spare time? Three, three, only three will admit it. Uh, Not many of us read poetry, right? You're reading poetry and... uh, when we write poetry, we usually have poetry that rhymes. And uh, I, I tried to think of a poem off the top of my head. It's sitting over there. I couldn't think of that one. Roses are red, violets are blue. How does the rest of it go? Sugar is sweet and so are you. So you have the rhyme, blue and you. And that, that is usually the way we, we write poetry, some kind of rhythm. And then uh, rhyming. Uh, they have rhythm to their poetry, but there's no rhyming. They rhyme ideas. So usually the first line is related to the second line, and it says the same thing a little different way, or it completes the idea in the second line. So you notice in verse 2, notice this poetry, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth. So he's calling the entire universe to listen. And then the second line saying the same thing, The Lord has spoken. So he's calling 
all of the universe to sit as the jury. I want, every, I want every, all the universe to hear what I've got to say. And then the second thing says the same thing. The Lord has spoken. When I was a boy, there was a commercial on TV um, e, about E.F. Hutton. When E.F. Hutton speaks, right, right, people listen. Um, when the Lord has spoken, you should listen. This is, this is coming from God. Notice the second two lines. I reared children and brought them up. So here he is saying, I've raised my family. I've put my time into it. I've given them everything. I've helped them but they've rebelled against me. We don't want you as our father. We're not going to do anything you tell us to do. We're going to go our own way. We don't want to have anything to do with you. Verse 3, beautiful poetry, picturesque. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger. Um, I was going to call some of our horse people this week, Bob. I think a horse probably knows what stall is his. Is that true? And he knows where to get his food? A horse knows that. Bob knows horses. A horse knows a horse knows where he's supposed to go. The ox knows where he's supposed to go, where he sleeps for the night, and he knows where to walk to to get his food. But notice, Israel doesn't know. My people do not understand. In other words, he's saying oxes and donkeys are smarter than my people. <laughs> they know who owns them. They know where they're supposed to go. They know what they're supposed to do. Israel has no clue. By the way, that's poem. So that's the summary of the charges. God's special people have rebelled against him, and God takes it personal. Notice they've rebelled against me. They've rebelled against me. It's not just, oh, we don't like the rules. We're rebelling against the rules. It's against God personally. It's God they don't like. By the way, that's true today. People don't go to church, not because they don't like church. It's because they don't like God. The Bible says this, there are none that understand. There are none that seek God. There are none that do good. There are none that are righteous. As human beings, we've got a problem with God. We don't like him. And we'll take any other kind of God but the true God. We'll make our own gods. We'll, we'll think of ourselves as God. We'll think as Mother Nature as God. Anything but the true God. I don't know why you get stuck on Point number two. Sad state of affairs, starting in verse four. Sad state of affairs. Ah, sinful nation, people loaded with guilt, brood of evildoers, seed of evildoers, but brood, beautiful, brood of evildoers, children given to corruption, they've forsaken the Lord, they've spurned the Holy One of Israel, and turned their backs on Him. And he has loaded that verse with all kinds of words for sin. Sinful nation, loaded with guilt, that is the consequences of wrong behavior, uh, evil doing, corruption, forsaking God, spurning the Holy One, and turning their backs on Him. The huge burden of guilt. In my prayer, I mentioned that holiness is ridiculed. We live in a, we live in a society where holiness is despised and ridiculed. God Himself is used most often as a swear word, which is the opposite of holiness. Now you're taking what is sacred and making it common. Notice... Verses 5 through 7, crushing universal problems. Verse 5, why should you be beaten anymore? Why persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured, your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds, welts, open sores, not cleansed or bandaged, 
or soothed with soil, soothed with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Crushing universal problem. In Isaiah's day, the ten tribes of Israel, you've heard of the lost tribes of Israel? Have you heard of that? Lost tribes of Israel. Ten tribes of Israel, 722, are sent into exile, and the Jews are scattered. The northern kingdom, gone. Jerusalem, left by itself. Jerusalem's besieged. Their people taken. Cities burned. The whole land is destroyed. Forty years of destruction. And, he, and he, he pictures it like somebody who is sick, like a human being is sick. He says, from the sole of the feet to the top of the head, there's no soundness. All you have are sores everywhere. There's nowhere that's not bruised. There's nowhere, nowhere that's not wounded. And yet they do nothing about it. He says, why will you be beaten again? Why keep doing what you're doing? Notice also the description of how bad things are. They're lonely and without help. Verses 8 and 9. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have been like Gomorrah, two classic cities destroyed by God. They're all left. They're all alone. I remember driving down Lampton Line one time and seeing a tomato field. And in the tomato field, there was one tree. And under that one tree, there was one hut. Now, I don't know what the hut was there for, whether that was an outhouse or whether it was just a place to get shade. But it looked so isolated out there in the middle of that tomato field. And the prophet's saying, that's what's happened to Jerusalem. All that's left is you're there and there's nothing else around you. You're all by yourself. If I can speak about Canada, sometimes the secular world a secular nation, thinks that you can build alliances with other countries and that you can count on these alliances and your country will be strong because you have these tight alliances with countries. And we've just seen in the last few years how flimsy alliances can be because guess what? The other country is going to do what's best for them, not what's best for us. And it doesn't take much for you to be all alone. Jerusalem was left all alone and without God to help them. That's a bad place to be. Point three, religious hypocrisy exacerbates the problem. Religious hypocrisy exacerbates the problem. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Remember, this is uh, poetry. These are beautiful metaphors. Okay, You rulers of Sodom. He is saying those who rule Jerusalem are the rulers of Sodom. You're just like them. You people of Gomorrah. Right? He's talking to the people in Jerusalem. Talking about, he's talking to Jews. He's talking to Judah. He says, you're the people of Gomorrah. Beautiful, beautiful language. The reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, two very wicked, wicked cities in antiquity destroyed by God. And God had promised Abraham that he would spare the cities if he found ten righteous people there. He didn't find ten righteous people. There were only four. And one of them didn't make it. And he's saying, Jerusalem and Judah, you're, you're Sodom and Gomorrah. You are. And they would have thought, we're not Sodom and Gomorrah. We're the chosen people of God. We're Israel. We're the descendants of Abraham. 
We've got the priests. We've got the tabernacle. We've got sacrifices. We sing songs to God. We've, we've got the scriptures. We're circumcised on the eighth day. And he says, Sodom and Gomorrah. That doesn't matter. Here's what Ezekiel says about Sodom and Gomorrah. Here are the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me. So I removed them. That sounds like us. Pride, excess of food, prosperous ease. I know Canadians don't think we have it easy. <laughs> we have it easy compared to most of the world. Prosperous ease and not aiding the poor and the needy. He says it to them. You're Sodom and you're Gomorrah. He could say it to us, I think. You're Sodom, you're Gomorrah. Notice this religious hypocrisy, verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. So they're bringing their sacrifices to the temple. Piles of them. They're going, God, here you go. Here's all the stuff we're doing for you. Here are all the animals that we're bringing. And God's going, I don't care about that. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Completely different than the book of Leviticus where God sees a sacrifice and he smells it and it's a sweet-smelling savor to him and he loves it. And now he's saying to them, I hate it. I can't stand it. Verse 12, When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? And all he sees as the people are attending in masses, he's going, what a, waste of, what a waste of all these people attending. They're just wearing out my carpets. Hate it. Verse 13, stop bringing meaningless offerings or empty, worthless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons monthly worship, Sabbaths, worship every week, convocations, special holidays. I cannot bear your evil assemblies, your new moon festivals, your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. He can't stand it. He goes, I've put up with it for so long and I can't take it anymore. All this coming to church without proper behavior. And then verse 15, the kicker. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. God won't answer your prayer. And even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. And then you get a clue. Your hands are full of blood. You mistreat people. Mistreat people in the worst way. Just heard a great, uh, a great summary this week about volunteerism. Uh, volunteerism is, is just dropping off the map. And uh, North American society... United States and Canada, we're having trouble getting people volunteering for anything anymore. And uh, it is way down from last generation. And that generation was way down from the generation before. And uh, sociologists are talking about it, and, and they, can't, they can't understand it because they go, we've got more time than we've ever had before. We have more money than we've ever had before. Our standard of living is higher than it's ever been. And even though our standard of living is higher, we're giving less than they did two generations ago. 
and the time that we give to help others is way down, and they're worried about it. We live in a society where people look after themselves first, and second, and third. Their whole life revolves around looking after themselves, taking care of themselves, and doing what they want to do. That's our society. That's our culture. And it's getting worse. And uh, I'm not just talking about uh, what you do here. I don't want to slam people here. Uh, We thank you for all the volunteer time that you give to our church. We appreciate it. And uh, if everyone does something, it helps a lot. And if you're not doing anything for the church, shame on you. There are little jobs that people can do. And so thank you, all of you who do little jobs, uh, whether it's greeting or being ushers. uh, we, We thank you for all of your help. But if you're not doing any volunteer work anywhere, and you're not giving money to charities, there's a problem. And you're the problem. And your lifestyle's the problem. Especially those who walk through the doors of a church and claim to be followers of God, believers in Jesus Christ. We should be different. That's why it's so striking. Israel were the people of God, and they were terrible. And we are the followers of Jesus Christ. And when we're terrible, God helped the world. The similarity between, in in some ways, I can't apply Isaiah to all of Canada because Isaiah is written to a people of God who were supposed to live for God. And uh, they worshiped God. And their holidays were built around God. But it certainly applies to those of us who are part of the church of Jesus Christ. We should be living for God. Our lives should be different. We should not have selfish lifestyles. We should be giving people. We should be generous people. And we should be helping others out. And I think if you're not helping others, your hands are just full of blood. You're just taking care of yourself. So what's the solution? Verses 16 and following. The solution. Wash up. Clean yourselves. Turn aside from your evil deeds. Away from my eyes. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppressors, provide justice to the orphan, defend the widow, four things. Number one, repent. Get clean. You wash because you're dirty. You have to turn aside from your evil deeds, and otherwise the washing does no good. You need to recognize, I am not living my life the way God wants me to live it. I am rebelling against him. I am going to turn that around. That's the evil that I will turn away from. Secondly, stop doing evil and learn to do good. It's not enough just to stop doing the wrong thing. You have to do the good things. I love uh, Ephesians where Paul says, let the thief steal no more. Instead, let him work with his hands so that he has something to give to others. That's when the thief is not a thief. When he becomes a giver to others. Seek justice and stop oppression. We live in a country that does very good in some ways with regard to justice and is horrible in other ways. There's no, there's no justice for babies in the womb of a mother. There's no one, no, one, no one to speak for them. If their mother doesn't value them, nobody else does. Number four, especially help the orphans and the widows. Those are those who can't help themselves. Those least able to get justice and help Help them. If I can pick on the United States, that's always good. 
Let's, let's talk about how bad they are. It's kind of so sad what happens on their southern border. Um, the number of women and children trying to get in the United States to have a better life and uh, the turning aside of women and children, um, those would be the ones a righteous country would help. Um, instead, the United States would want to bring in those who are professionals. So if you are a professional and able to contribute there to their society, oh, you're welcome. And if you have money, come on in. If you're a widow and you're a single mom with kids, they don't want you. Don't even bother coming. They're just going to put you in a camp and try to ship you out. That's not righteousness. That's what they were doing in Jerusalem. The orphans and the widows are neglected. How many widows do we have in our congregation? Raise your hand. There's a few, right? Um, on a Sunday morning, maybe next Sunday morning, maybe you should talk to a widow. Just talk to one. See how she's doing. Notice the last part of the solution. Verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Although your sins are scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This is the hope. The hope, even though the sins are red and you're full of them, they can be washed clean. You can be white as snow, just like wool. Only Jesus Christ can offer that hope, and only God can offer that hope for the people who have blood on their hands. So there's hope for all of us today to reason together with the Lord and to see things His way and to say, Lord, that's what I want. I want my sins to be washed clean. And I want to be pure before you. Help me to stand in your presence, not as someone who has done evil and not as someone who is rebelling against you, but as someone who is coming to you and saying, Lord, you're right. I need you in my life. I need to live for you. Please wash me clean today. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Today, are you willing? Are you obedient? Your sins can be washed away. That takes place because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. To pay the price of our rebellion, of our wickedness, of our iniquity, and take the guilt off of our shoulders. And all of that goes on Christ so that we can be free. Please embrace Christ today. Believe in him. And Christian, stop doing evil and do good. Look after the health.